morning we're reading from Mark chapter 14, verses 22 to 25. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. All right. Yeah, you guys can have a seat. Would you guys pray with me quick as we get started? Uh, Father, we do come here today... Uh, dependent on you. God, we pray that your spirit would come now, as Gabe just said, and would you speak to us through your word? Would these truths that we see in scripture uh, become a reality for us? Would you give us uh, sharp minds and soft hearts as we approach your word? And would you draw us into greater worship? God, we need you to do this. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Providence, my name uh, is Andrew, so I serve here at the church as one of the pastors. Uh, This morning, as was just read for us, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 14. So if you've got a Bible, go Mark chapter 14, and we'll get there in a second. Now, as you do that, uh, let me just ask, I don't know if we have any NFL fans in here, if anyone's been following the NFL this last week. I know we're Nebraska, and so we're college football people, but uh, if, you, if you haven't watched any of the NFL this week, basically this week was the first time uh, in this year where free agents could sign with new teams. Now, I'm a huge Minnesota Vikings fan, and so I have been excitedly watching this week as they signed uh, the number one quarterback on the the market. And so they got this guy named Kirk Cousins. Uh, He was the best quarterback in the market. They signed him, uh, and they actually signed him to this kind of unique deal. And so uh, they signed him to this contract, and it was three years, $84 million dollars. Now, what's unique about this is not the enormous amount of money that that actually was, but that every last penny of that $84 million was fully guaranteed. So it's, it's kind of an abnormal contract in the NFL. And I know that it, it seems maybe logical to think if you sign a contract, you get the money that you signed for, but n- not so much in the NFL. So they'll sign contracts all the time that are, you know, six years, $100 million, and it's like $10 million's guaranteed. Because at any point, if the player underperforms or if the player gets hurt or if the team just doesn't want them anymore, in most of their contracts, they can just cut them. They'll release them and they don't have to pay them any more money. And so I was thinking about this this week as this contract came out that was a little bit different in that it's fully guaranteed. And I started thinking about most of the contracts um, that these NFL players are are playing under, which is uh, non-guaranteed. And it made me think just the, the amount of stress that that is, that you, there's this performance standard, this bar that they consistently have to play at, that they consistently have to be at, or they lose their job, right? So they're not functioning out of any sort of job security. They're not usually probably functioning out of this love that they have for the organization. It's, it's simply kind of this insecurity, because if you don't play at a certain level, you get cut, you get released. And so their relationship with their team, it's not fully guaranteed, it's fully conditional based on their performance. 
And as I was thinking about that this week, I started to think about how oftentimes uh, we may perceive a relationship with God in kind of a similar way of a non-guaranteed contract, right? That maybe you've thought this, that um, as long as I keep reading my Bible, right, as long as I keep going to church, keep going to city group, as long as I keep saying no to the bad things, then God and I will be good. But if I fail, or if I doubt, or if I begin to wander or stray, that there's no guarantee that God just may let me go. You know, I wonder if maybe when you think about your relationship with God, it's not really marked by security, but maybe more insecurity. Or when you think of the Christian life, is the thought that comes to mind immediately a thought of rest? Or do you maybe think a little bit more of exhaustion? You know, I think this is important for us as we look at Mark 14, because I think what Mark 14 is going to show us is that God offers a fully guaranteed contract to you this morning. In the Bible, this idea is called a covenant, right? a covenant relationship. And God's covenant that he makes with us is a fully guaranteed relationship. And I think it's important because if uh, maybe there's some in the room today, if you're kind of looking at Christianity from the outside, maybe your perception is that Christianity really is just a, a set of rules or regulations, a bar that you have to achieve, a performance that you have to keep up with. But maybe even for Christians in the room, oftentimes I think we can get this twisted view that the Christian life uh, is a life of trying to just kind of hold on to God, trying to do the right things, trying to just be good enough to keep your relationship with God. And I think for both of those, for anyone in the room, I think God wants us to know this morning that the Christian life is not marked by fear and insecurity, but by rest, by security, that we can know, we can be assured that our relationship with God is fully guaranteed. So let's look at Mark uh, chapter 14. Now as we do that, uh, we're going to see this meal that Jesus is at with his disciples. And what I want to do is I just want to walk through some of the elements of this meal, and I want that to hopefully show us that we can have a fully guaranteed relationship with God. So we're going to look at four elements, all right? And the four things we're going to look at are the Passover, the bread, the cup, and the covenant. All right, we're going to move fairly quick, hopefully through these four, the Passover, the bread, the cup, and the covenant. So, Mark chapter 14. If you look at verse 22, um, the very first phrase that you'll see is something like, and, and while they were eating, right? So, so we kind of get into the story halfway through uh, a meal that Jesus is having with his disciples. Now, if you look at the passage right before that, you'll see that what they're doing is they're sitting down for the Passover meal. Now, the Passover was one of the biggest celebrations, like a spiritual holiday for the Jewish people. And so, to really understand what Jesus is doing here, uh, we need to take a step back quickly and just look at uh, what the Passover is, what this meal is that they are celebrating. So the Passover, for the Jews, uh, was a meal that reminded them uh, of what God did in the book of Exodus. So Exodus, in the Old Testament, the second book of the Bible, uh, the story kind of goes like this. In Genesis, God promised his people, that they would be prosperous, that they would have land, that he would be with them. And then you turn to Exodus, and Exodus begins with God's people 
enslaved. They're in bondage. They're being oppressed by Egypt. For 400 years, God's people are bound in slavery, oppressed by the Egyptians. And as I was thinking about this week, I was just thinking, man, I I have to assume that at some point during those 400 years, some of those Israelites are asking the questions like, God, what are you doing here? Right? Like, what, what happened to our promise? What happened to the blessing? What happened to you being faithful to us? God, do you see us? Do you notice us? Do you, do you care about us? Are you even close to us? I mean, generation after generation after generation enslaved. I wonder if you've ever asked some of those questions of God. You ever ask in a hard time, man, God, what are you doing here? Like, why is this happening? You promised me something and it's not playing out. Yeah, me too. Um, but God would answer his people in a big way. They're, they're enslaved for 400 years and God steps in and he says that he's going to raise up a man named Moses. And he says, Moses is going to free his people from slavery. And so Moses goes to Pharaoh, the leader of the Egyptians, uh, time after time. And he says, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh baby, let my people go, right? He actually doesn't say that. It's a kid's song if you don't know why people are laughing. Anyway, uh, so he goes to Pharaoh though and he does say, Pharaoh, let us go. Like God is saying, we need to go. And time after time, God, or Pharaoh says, no. So God has these plagues that hit the land of Egypt. Nine plagues. Every time Pharaoh says no, a new plague comes. And then there was a 10th plague. And this was gonna be the most devastating of all the plagues. This was gonna be the one that was gonna break Pharaoh. See, God said that he was going to send the angel of death and he was going to sweep through the land of Egypt. And every firstborn child in the land was going to die. Doesn't matter if you're Pharaoh, if you're an Egyptian, if you're a Jew, if you're a slave, it didn't matter. Every household in all of Egypt was going to lose their firstborn son. Unless, God said, unless you sacrifice a lamb. And if you sacrifice this lamb, you take the lamb's blood and they were called to to put it on their doorposts. And if they were hidden, if their door was covered in the blood of the lamb, the angel would come and it would pass over their house and spare their son. God made a way through a sacrifice of a lamb to save his people. And this became a reality. The, the Israelites, they sacrificed lambs. They put blood on the doorposts. And as the angel swept through, it killed all the firstborns except for the families hidden under the blood. They were eventually freed. They go out and God tells his people to remember how the angel passed over them. To remember that it was only by the blood of the lamb that they were spared. And so every year they were called to have a Passover meal. This was celebrating and looking back at what God had done. So with that in mind, this is the meal. This is the celebration that they come to. And then we get verse 22. So look with me, Mark 14, verse 22. And we're going to see Jesus uh, look at the bread. So verse 22, he says, And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to them. So if we stop right there, so far, um, this is just the normal uh, next step in the Passover 
meal. So nothing weird or abnormal happens. You see, what happens is um, the host of the dinner would take this bread. It's called the bread of affliction, right? So this bread was to symbolize the affliction of those that were enslaved in Egypt. So to remember and to, to look back at all the misery and the oppression and the slavery that their ancestors were under, they took the bread, they break it, and the host will break pieces and hand it to each person. And as he does that, and each person gets a piece of bread, as you eat that and you take that in, it symbolized that you were partaking in the affliction of the generations before you. And it did two things. It made you remember the affliction that you came from, and it made you celebrate the freedom that God gave you. So this was the, the bread of affliction. It was meant to point them back to the generations that suffered so that they could be free. Now that is all normal until Jesus speaks. Now listen to what he says. He says, take, this is my body. It's such a small little phrase, but he is beginning to revolutionize the meal that God's people take together. See, he no longer says this is to, to point back to the affliction of your ancestors. He now says, this is going to represent my affliction. He said, this is going to symbolize the affliction that would happen just the next day as Jesus takes the cross. You see, the generations before suffered so that these Israelites could be free. And Jesus is now saying, in the same way, I am about to go suffer. I am about to go be afflicted, as Isaiah 53 says, so that you can be free. He was going to go and take the penalty and the suffering. And as he hands out the bread, he is saying, by eating this bread, you're partaking in that suffering. So providence is a practical application when we come forward every Sunday and we take communion, uh, it's purposeful why we have somebody up here ripping off pieces of bread and giving them to you. Because as you receive that piece of bread, it is symbolizing what Jesus did on the cross, that he tore his flesh, that he broke his body for you, that he was afflicted and took the cross for you. And as you eat the bread, you are participating in what he did. You're saying that that sacrifice was good for you, that you are putting your trust in him. Now, before we move on, I do think it's necessary to say, I use the word symbolize there uh, intentionally. Because there's different uh, strands of Christianity that believe different things about the elements that we have in communion. But we would say that when you take the bread, it doesn't become the actual physical body of Christ. But that from the Passover, what we see, one of the reasons we believe this is because in the Passover meal, the bread was simply symbolic of previous affliction. And Jesus is copying that method and that train of thought. And he's now saying, this will now symbolize my affliction. Also, the disciples probably, when he's handing this out, saying, this is my body, they're with him physically. I don't, they're, they're not going to think, oh, he means this is his physical body, right? They, they understand that this is symbolic. And so we believe when we come forward to take communion, there's nothing crazy special about the bread other than it points us to Jesus. So that's the, the bread that he hands out. 
But then in verse 23, we see him change another thing as he looks at the cup. Look at verse 23. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. So again, up to this point, everything is normal. Because in the, in the Passover meal, there's actually four cups that they drink. There's a specific order, and you drink four cups. And these four cups represent the four promises that God made to his people in Exodus 6. And so you begin the meal with the first cup, which represents the promise, I will bring you out of Egypt. And then you take the the second cup, and the second cup represents the promise that I will deliver you from slavery. Now, after you do the second cup is when you break the bread. So it's safe to assume that Jesus broke the bread, handed it out, so now we're on to the third cup. So this cup in verse 23 is probably the third cup of the Passover, and it symbolizes God's promise, I will redeem you. I will redeem you. You see, what Jesus does here is he, he breaks the bread and shows them that in the bread of his affliction, we will be saved. And then he takes the cup that's representing God's redemption, and he said, this is my blood. This is going to symbolize the blood that I will pour out in order to seal God's covenant with you. And so, again, just like when we take the bread, when you come forward to take communion, you take the bread, you dip it in the juice, and that juice represents, symbolizes the blood that Jesus poured out for you. And when you take that, it's as if you are saying, I am covered by this blood. The, the blood of the Lamb of God has covered me. And for all those who would hide their souls in Jesus' affliction and blood, find themselves in a new relationship with God. Years ago, there was a, there was a large forest fire in Yellowstone National Park. Um, and in National Geographic, they did this little story uh, where they showed this huge fire that happened, and afterwards, uh, some park rangers went up to kind of assess the damage on the mountain. And so uh, they're going up, and one of the park rangers stumbles upon this kind of like petrified shell of a bird. It's kind of like gross. I mean, it's like charred completely. So it's just ashes basically on this tree. And so the, the ranger goes up to it and pokes it with a stick to kind of knock it down. And, and what happened was really interesting. The bird kind of like crumbled, its wings kind of fell apart. And three little chicks scurried out from underneath the bird. You see, what had happened is when the flames started coming, the mother bird stood there, gathered in the chicks, and covered them as the flames surrounded them. The the mother gave up her life in order that these chicks might now go and live. In Providence, I think in so much of a greater way, This is symbolic of what Jesus has done for us. You know, in Luke, Jesus said, when he looks at Jerusalem, he said, oh, how I long to gather you under my wings. You see, Jesus took the flames of hell and the wrath of God and completely covered us in his sacrifice so that even when he died, we might live. You see, it's his affliction, his taking the cross, his blood that he poured out, his facing the wrath of God on our behalf that lets us live. And so I just, 
I have to ask, and I want you to actually consider this morning, can you confidently say that you are hidden under the affliction and the blood of Christ? I mean, is all of your faith and your trust in him? When, when you stand before God one day, and you have to face the wrath of God for your sins, will you stand there hoping that you've done enough to be made right with him? Or will you stand there and say, I'm simply hidden under the blood of Christ? (laughs) My only hope, my only thing that I have is that I'm under the wings of Christ. That's it. I'm under the, the banner of his blood. I think Jesus is saying here, with this cup, that the redemption of God for all of us would come from his blood. And he says that that blood will be of a new covenant. So look with me just at the, our, our last section as he, he looks at the idea of a covenant. So he says this is going to symbolize this covenant that he is making with man. That God is making a fully guaranteed relational contract with any who trust in the blood of Jesus. Now, I think one of the best ways for us to uh, maybe understand this idea of covenant is to just kind of look at one of our, you know, most used covenants in our world, which is the covenant of marriage. Right? So if you if you're married and you didn't know, you entered into a covenant, I mean, hopefully somebody told you that. Uh, but when you got married, you entered into this covenant, and, and a covenant is marked by faithfulness, by security, by trust. And it's until death parts you, right? So let me tell you a little bit about um, my relationship with my wife, because this idea of a covenant just revolutionized our relationship. Um, there were, we, we met in college, uh, and we were friends for a couple years, and then we started dating. And as we started dating, I noticed after a couple months that uh, I have this kind of inward... Um, I guess fear and insecurity that I guess has just plagued me for a while, but I, I always kind of have this fear that uh, if I get really close to somebody, they're, they're probably going to walk away, right? I don't know if any of you guys have experienced this, but I just have this nagging kind of feeling that the closer I get to somebody, they're, they're probably going to walk away at some point. As they know me more, as they see me more, they're going to see that I'm not worthy of them being around, and so this happened with my wife. And so at the time, we were dating, and, um, and we were dating for a few months. I was starting to like her more and more and more, and I started to get this sense of, yeah, this probably isn't going to last. You know, like she's probably going to walk away at some point. And so our, our relationship was kind of a mess for a long time. And we uh, dated for a couple of years, but throughout that time, we actually broke up a few times. And we fought a lot, and we didn't get along all the time. And it was a hard relationship. And I got to tell you, there were moments where I just kept having this nagging feeling like any day that I woke up could be the day that, you know, we're done. Right? Any day, any moment, like this could be the day where the thing finally breaks and she walks away. I wonder if any of you have that kind of view of your relationship with God. That any day now, you could wake up and God may say, look, you've gone too far. You've done too much. Like, I'm not in this anymore. Any day could be the day where I'm leaving. 
Do you ever have this like perpetual fear or insecurity inside of you saying, I don't know if God will still be around tomorrow. I don't know if he'll still care about me tomorrow. I don't know if I can bank on the fact that in 10 years I will still be with God. This, this plagued me in my relationship with Bailey until one thing happened that completely changed everything. We stood on a stage and we made a covenant with one another. Things had slowly gotten better. And so we stood in front of a pastor and our family and friends and God himself and we pledged ourselves to one another. We said that no matter what, I am here. I am faithful. I will be true. You can trust in me. And we gave ourselves to each other. And I got to tell you, it didn't happen that very moment, but slowly I began to see something change in my heart. Because once we entered into a covenant, it was no longer wondering, is she going to be there at the end of the day? It was no longer this fear of at any point she might walk away. I was now living in this security. That no matter what happens, no matter the fight we have, no matter the stupid things that I do, we are in this together forever. You see, a covenant relationship like that isn't driven by fear and insecurity, but it's marked by security. It's marked by rest in knowing that you and the other person are in it for good. And God and his kindness to us has created a fully guaranteed covenant with you. That you can know for sure that you will be with God forever. And this relationship that you have with God is driven by security, assurance. You can know that, that in a week you're not going to out-sin God because God's covenant with you is not based on your faithfulness to him, but on Jesus' faithfulness to you. Like we can know and we can be secure in our relationship with God because it's not your performance that dictates the relationship. It's totally by the work that Jesus is about to do the very next day from our story here that is going to seal God's covenant with you. And so I think it's fair for us to just reflect and just ask, if you were to look at your life, would you say that it's marked by Rest, security, comfort, assurance? Or would you say your mark is perpetually, or your life is marked by fear and insecurity, angst? Is is your Christian life just driven by this need to achieve a certain level or do good enough? If it's marked more by angst and insecurity, I wonder if your relationship with God in your mind is based more off your performance than God's covenant faithfulness in Jesus. Because what we see at this table 2,000 years ago is that Jesus is making a covenant that's available to you. And he said that this bread, which symbolizes his affliction, and this wine that symbolizes his blood, seals it. It's done. If your faith is in him, you can rest assured that you are with God and he is with you. Let me me end this way. Part of communion that we take is to look back at how we are hidden under the body and blood of Jesus. 
But if you noticed, I said earlier that at the Passover meal, there's four cups that they drink. Now Jesus stops after the third one. And he gives them this cup, and then the scene kind of uh, disbands. It's, it's over. But he says one more thing in verse 25. He says this, Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. The fourth cup that they drank at the Passover meal represented the fourth promise, which was this. God said, I will be your God and you will be my people. It's the ultimate promise of all the covenants. It's this it's this idea that God isn't just going to uh, let you off the hook. He's not going to let you just kind of run freely now. He's saying, no, you are mine and I am yours forever. And Jesus is saying, we will drink that fourth cup. We will have that promise fully consummated. And you will experience no separation from God, no distance from God, no wondering if God is near or real or close to you. In the new kingdom of God. He says one day in the new heavens and the new earth. We are going to sit at a new table. And at this feast. It's called the marriage supper of the lamb. When we are swept up with Jesus. We will drink this cup. And we will be with God forever. And Jesus is saying as sure as he came once. He is coming again. And as sure as he's coming again. That feast will happen. And we will be with God forever. I love the line from uh, one of my favorite songs we sing here called All Glory Be to Christ. I think it gets at this. So let me end with this. The last verse says this. When on that day, the great I am, the faithful and the true, the lamb who was for sinners slain is making all things new. And behold, our God shall live with us and be our steadfast light. And we shall ere his people be, all glory be to Christ. Let me pray. Father, we are grateful that you have made a way for us to be in a relationship with you. Jesus, would you help us now? Would you send your spirit to speak to us now to seal, uh, or to, to help us to see the seal of the covenant, which is your body, and your blood. Would those in the room who maybe struggle with assurance, struggle with knowing that you are with them, would you encourage and comfort them in this moment? Would your spirit speak to them that they might know that there's nothing they can do? That if their faith and trust is in you, Jesus, It's sealed. It's done. It is a fully guaranteed relationship. Father, for those who who maybe in the room are are wandering or who are struggling or who are walking in sin, God, would, would looking at this meal, looking at what you've done for us, help us come back. Help us worship you in greater ways. Father, would you speak to us now? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.